I am excited to see, and I dream of seeing it more and more, of women confidently stepping in to what God has called them to do, not needing to explain. And it's not like they all need to teach or they all need to evangelize. I don't have a template. Whatever good work God has for you, that's what I want you to be able to do. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Elisa Morgan. And I'm Erin Atkins. Have you ever felt discouraged while reading the Bible? Maybe because you felt like women weren't as prominent in the stories as the men. Well, today we're talking with my friend, Dr. Lynn Coick, a distinguished professor of the New Testament. Dr. Lynn once felt discouraged while reading her Bible as a grad student. And since then, she has been passionately teaching the importance of women in the New Testament, as well as how God has a purpose for each of us. Let's learn more about Dr. Lynn by first asking how she became professor of Bible teaching during this conversation on God Hears Her. I was raised by parents who probably would now identify as nominal Methodists. You know, we went to church. They kind of thought they were Christians, but it wasn't until I was in junior high and my parents were part of a United Methodist Church where the pastor really preached the gospel and the youth pastor also really presented the richness that I began to understand Mm. uh, who this Jesus is. And both my mom and I were saved. That would have been the language Mm. then. And my family had seen and had been taught in the United Methodist Church that women could serve in leadership. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of assumed. And then my mom and I, we came to Christ. So unfortunately, that particular United Methodist Church was not excited about the pastor's energy towards Mm. evangelism. And so he was invited to leave, as was the youth pastor. Mm. And when that happened, yeah, my mom wanted to get in a space where there still was that good Bible teaching. And so we started in another church, a church plant of the evangelical free denomination. And we had a wonderful pastor there who really taught the word, which Mm -hmm. was fantastic because both my mom and I were so hungry for it. But it was in a structure that didn't allow women to do leadership. Mm. So there was kind of a, I don't know that I would call it a conflict, but in my home, it was like, well, you can be anything, Lynn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in church, it was like, well, no, not so much, you know? And so, so that confusing. was the tension. Yeah. yeah. It's like inconsistent. Yeah. And we had a very dynamic youth group that was both college and high school age. It was a very small church plant. And so the youth, in a sense, met in the, some of the college kids were the leaders of, of the youth. That's where I met my husband. <laughs> oh, you yeah. Youth group. Yes. Of course. I oh, it. I know. I know. Tell me. Okay. I want to know. Let's just get a little bit behind the scenes of that. Yeah. When you saw him, mm-hmm. did you know or were you like, eh, 
eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> he knows this story, so I, it won't be a surprise. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> thought, huh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I was not super impressed, but that quickly changed. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Was he we, pursuant of you? Yeah, he was, although... Uh, he's in college, right? And he, he started school young as a four-year-old, oh, right? Wow. This was, he has a December birthday. Wow. And so he started kindergarten at four, mm, okay. right? Which So he wow, was young. Very young. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we're three years apart in age and also in um, a class. Okay. okay. So fast track. So when did you get married? Yeah, did when you he kids? graduated from college, we got married. So that meant I had okay. just finished my freshman year in college. Wow. I was young. just shy of my 19th birthday. Oh, my, oh goodness. my goodness. I know. When our children <laughs> later mm-hmm. reached that age, they just looked at us like, you're crazy. oh, my word, you're crazy. You know, yeah. just to pause right here, you were in this family where women could do anything, and then the church gave you a different message that women can only do certain things. Okay, now you're married so young, and you're in college. So how did getting married that young shape what you thought you were going to be when you, quote, grew up. You know, how did that shape you? You know, I just did things by the seat of my pants. When I look back, I think it is amazing that I got a PhD. (laughs) It really is because nobody encouraged me in this, except, again, my parents and my husband. I come from a medical family, and so would you want to go into medicine? I thought about that. But I also love the Bible. I love teaching. My mom talks about, you know, I've taught, I'm the oldest of, of three, and they had to listen to my teaching, uh, whether they wanted to or not growing up, you know? You don't know anything so, like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I think I was in, encouraged that way mm-hmm. to, to go forward. But there were, there were real hurdles. For example, when I graduated from college, I thought, well, you know, I'd like to study the Bible. And I know my pastor went to a seminary, has a very good reputation. Well, I'll go there, get my MDiv or MA in Bible, and then go on for my PhD. But the church would not sign, would not write a letter of recommendation for me to go study the Bible. They would sign for me to go if I did Christian education, Mm -hmm. but not for the Bible. So, So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, so you get these messages, Mm -hmm. right, from my family, go for it. Yeah. We have no idea how. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But just go for it. what it means, yeah. Yeah. And then from the church, no, that's not legitimate for you to study the Bible. Wow. You know, what, what role did your father play in you becoming you? I've heard you talk about your mom. You know, did he go to church with you? Did he give you the mirror back Mm. that you can do anything you want, Lynn? Or, you know, was he conflicted. Yeah, uh, he did come to a born again experience a couple of years after me and my mom. So by the time I had graduated from high school, he was also on board that way. And he didn't actively try to stop it before then. My dad, I think, allowed for all of his kids to take risks. He Mm. is a risk taker. And hmm. so, or he likes uh, entrepreneur. I'll say it that way. I mean, it's not like he jumps off mountains with no parachute, but I mean, it's, <laughs> but more just, you know, as a entrepreneur, yeah. um, starting things, he encouraged that. I didn't have to worry about failure in the way that some people worry about that. And I think being the firstborn, I just had the expectations that mm-hmm. often come on a firstborn, whether it's a son or a daughter. You grew up with such a wide-eyed mm-hmm. like possibility mm-hmm. environment. So I would imagine when you're told you can't 
study, like you can't go to school for learning the Bible was so confusing. So take us to that moment when Mm -hmm. you learned that what happened? Well, I just found another way. I love it. <laughs> Did you so know? That's, that might be inherited also from my father. Okay. Oh, this door shut. I'm opening over oh, here. You know? So there was a yeah. determinedness yeah. Yeah. in you. So it's like, if I can't do that, then I'm going to do this. Yeah. Sometimes it was even with that kind of tone in my mind and mm-hmm. other yeah saucy did you say snarky snarky but I snarky like and saucy, saucy. yeah <laughs> spicy Let's go with saucy yep i think in this particular case because i still did want to get a degree mm-hmm. right i wanted to teach i i didn't i have never felt called to be a pastor in a church i wanted to be a teacher a mm-hmm. teacher of the word mm-hmm. if i can't do seminary that doesn't mean i couldn't go straight into my phd and so that's that's what i did straight from undergrad to my phd how did you do mm-hmm. that did you get a masters no i started how do you do that well with a lot of errors and sleepless nights <laughs> yeah i had no idea what i was doing and it was a huge leap i finished my undergrad in three and a half years oh, so that wow. last semester I did go to a seminary, but I was studying church history there, so I could get in. And a couple of weeks into the semester, my advisor said, you know, you could stay and get an MA here, but it's not really going to count that much towards your PhD credit hours. You might just want to dive right into your PhD. I know, I don't know if the school loved that he just told a student to go somewhere (laughs) else, but anyway, um, so that's what I did. But my undergrad, I mean, it prepared me in so many ways, didn't necessarily prepare me to go in straight into a PhD from undergrad. So it was like truly like drinking water from a fire hose. Mm, And it was, well, I have a determination, I think. I have a kind of persistent spirit. Clearly. There was also, (laughs) there was also a lot of, self-doubt like can Mm -hmm. I actually do this Mm -hmm. over and over and over again I wondered that uh, quite a bit so it was a time where I just felt like I was always the stupidest in the room and that could have been actual fact too you know Mm -hmm. I'm just always felt so behind but love to be part of the conversation you know Mm -hmm. just that was Mm -hmm. I just loved it that's what kept me going just exploring the world of the New Testament. How did you become so interested specifically in the New Testament? I was captivated by that world. I don't find the Old Testament world, the ancient Near East, quite as exciting, Mm -hmm. you know, as as I did that first century Roman world. Was there a story that captured you in the New Testament that opened your eyes to feeling that way? There was a story that I used when I was baptized in the adult baptism that was what our church did, the Evangelical Free Church, it was right before I was going off to college, and we had our baptisms in a local creek, Mm. and we gave our testimony and the biblical text that we wanted to share, and I shared uh, the story of Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus Mm. with the um, alabaster jar of ointment. And that, that story, for me, has just resonated down through the decades, really, of someone who was in the same moment as Jesus. She's the one that recognizes his passion to come. And she, in the face of ridicule by her friends, does what needs to be done through love. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so that was my hope. And then you continued to express your own 
pouring out of your alabaster. As you really immersed yourself in the New Testament and then in women and children in the culture of the New Testament, and Lynn, you've, you've really opened my eyes because you teach from a contextual, a cultural contextual approach where when we go into passages, it's more than just the words on the page. You help us understand the context of the times and what it was like for women, what it was like for children, what the structure of society was like. How did that become so important to you? And are there a couple of big principles that you want to offer out to all the women listening here about, you know, when we read scripture, remember this stuff? Sure, Mm. sure. Yeah, I would say my first semester in graduate school, there were two moments that I think really shaped. I might not have known it at the time, but they really did shape. Mm. The first was I took a class in feminism and Christianity. This would be in the mid 80s. And uh, I'm so surprised that that's even a class. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it was very much second wave feminism. Okay. And the women in the class, there were about 20 students, all women. There was one other woman who uh, identified as a Christian, think she was Episcopalian, and then me, and then everybody else was post-Christian. And hmm. I felt that's how they identified. And my and heart- for anybody listening who doesn't know what that means, what does that mean, post-Christian? Well, I think for them, they were done with Christianity. Okay. They were done wow. with the church. I'll why, put it there. Why they were they were... taking this class? Feminism and Christianity, feminism. I think, to the feminism point, to kind of see the critique, perhaps, okay. of yeah. Christianity. Okay. And the authors that we read, some of them strongly critiqued the church. Not all. With these women, it just broke my heart that they wanted nothing to do with Jesus because they wanted nothing to do with the church. And I I just thought, oh, that's not right. Mm-hmm. I wish they would know um, Jesus as I know Jesus. And I just lamented that reality. And, and I think that, mm-hmm. that has been a burden then of mine to, mm-hmm. to be able to call the church to account, maybe, well, that sounds too bold, but just to at least acknowledge, okay, mm-hmm. the church has gotten some things wrong that has pushed women away, but to also then invite women, look at who Jesus, look who God is, who loves, right? You're seen, you're heard, you're loved by God, right? Like that is Mm -hmm. the truth of the Mm -hmm. Bible. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to, I mean, at that age, I didn't think, oh, I want to make an impact. You know, I didn't (laughs) think, oh, it just struck, it 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 broke my heart. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then I traveled from Harrisburg to Philadelphia twice a week. It's two hours one way on the train. And I had my morning devotions on the train and I'm reading from my translation and everything is in the masculine pronoun, the generic masculine pronoun. And it hit me one morning, I was in First Corinthians, he this, he that, he this, and literally tears came to my eyes mm. and I just cried out, Lord, am I here? Am I in this story at all? Mm. And I think mm. that helped crystallize for me this personal interest in exploring the biblical text and how God sees women, right? And how women are integral to the people of God, the ancient Israelites and the Church of the Apostles. And so, yeah, it became in part a personal journey, but it was also at this time in the 80s, the rise of studying historical women especially in Christianity. And so there was a lot of work being done on trying to raise up these Uh stories that have been there, but we just didn't pay attention to them. Are there things that you would want to say that we should keep in mind specifically as women when we're reading 
yeah. in the New Testament. I think so. I think one thing to keep in mind is that women populated the landscape. And even though sometimes in the biblical text only men are mentioned, that's just a convention of the day. But they assume, and we should assume, because it's correct, yeah. that they're, they're women doing all kinds of things there. Secondly, I think it's important to note that women worked, and women were shopkeepers, and and they could loan money, or they had financial resources. Mm-hmm. It's not like when a woman married and any of her finances went totally to her husband. It's not Victoria, England, you yeah. know, back then. Women had resources. Mm. So again, maybe a way to talk about this is that women had agency. Mm-hmm. Like they could choose to align with Pharisees, Jewish women, or they could align themselves with a prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They could make decisions. So I think of Martha, for example, who knows about the resurrection of the dead, which is a belief that the Pharisees held, but not the Sadducees. Well, where did she learn that? Why does she have that commitment? Mm-hmm. Did her brother Lazarus also have that? Was it a family commitment mm-hmm. or or not? It's like that women could learn mm-hmm. and and could have opinions and could exercise agency and could make financial decisions. Mm. And so we have Mary Magdalene, who had finances and contributed those to Jesus's ministry. Mm. Yeah. So you just have women being very active. And I don't think we often see that. We see it, especially in the book of Acts and in Paul's letters, as he'll write to a Lydia or a Dorcas or describe these different ministries, Phoebe, etc. But Jesus' ministry was revolutionary to women in that he did include them. I mean, we don't see them in the 12 disciples, but we mm-hmm. do see them as you're referencing in Luke chapter 8, where Mary Magdalene and others supported him and his ministry out of their own means. And also Mary sitting at his feet and learning from him. I mean, there are some different things, Martha, as, you, as you're referencing, but I love the backdrop that you're expressing, that women were active and they were everywhere, but it was convention for everything to be put in the mail. How did Jesus mm-hmm. shape mm-hmm. the opportunities and the value of women? Yeah, I think his ministry happening a lot in Galilee, where you're just a day journey or less between towns, mm-hmm. allowed for both men and women to travel with Jesus. Now, the women are not going to sleep in the fields with the men, disciples, and Jesus, right? Like propriety would just not allow that. Mm. But this is a mainly Jewish area up in Galilee. Everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. And so for a woman to come into a town or a group of women, they would be shown hospitality. That was a very high Mm -hmm. value back then. And they're following this teacher, this healer. So they could have easily been cared for. So we need to imagine these women and men are traveling with Jesus. And there are culturally appropriate ways that protect modesty Hmm. and safety for the women. Not a problem in Galilee. In their journey up to Jerusalem from Galilee through Samaria, there I think they'd be traveling, both men and women, Jewish men and women, would have a dynamic in dealing with Samaritans. But once you're in mm-hmm, Judea, mm-hmm. Not, yeah. not a problem. You know, you mentioned about the 12 apostles, that among them are not women. And that is true, but I think the 
point of those 12 is the new Israel. So you have the 12 tribes Mm -hmm. and the promise of God to bring back the 12 tribes Mm. in, I would say, more of a symbolic way, uh, Mm -hmm. you know. So that 12 was very important. The number 12, they were all Jewish men Mm -hmm. as well, which, again, it's very much a part of Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilling the promises of bringing all Israel back from exile. And so I don't think the argument that somehow there weren't women in that 12 is at all pertinent to a question of leadership Mm -hmm. because the 12 apostles are really representative of this new people of God that's established by the Messiah. Mm -hmm. That's why they pick a new person at the beginning of Acts. That's why even earlier in the first chapter of Acts, the disciples asked Jesus, is it now that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh Right? And so it's all about Israel, the end times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that happening now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To a woman that's listening right now, what, what is something that she can find comfort in, in hearing what all of, all of what you're sharing right now about women in the New Testament, how can they apply that currently? And what does that say about who Jesus is in their life right now? And so much of it is, where are they? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit knows that, right? So I think for some women, maybe they've been selling themselves short, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they've made some excuses. Well, you know, God never really asked me to do that. And I think, oh, hold on. You know, you've got a Lydia who in Acts 16 mm-hmm. opens her home mm-hmm. and her very guests are then beaten and jailed. She won't expect justice from mm-hmm. the city rulers mm-hmm. uh, necessarily. That's, I think, why Paul visits her before he leaves to kind of say, hey, look, people, she took care of me. She's my friend. Mm-hmm. You all know I'm a Roman citizen. Don't harass her. Yeah. But she took a risk mm-hmm. in that. Right. Mm-hmm. So there might be some women God is prompting them, I need you to take this risk. I'm here Mm -hmm. for you. But then there are probably other women who have just gone through such a a hard time, Mm -hmm. uh, a difficult time, and Jesus wants to wants Mm -hmm. to say to you, I'm here. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. just be with me. I see you. Yeah. In the story of the Samaritan woman, John four. It's often taught that she was a sinful woman, Mm. which is not the case. But Jesus, in his response to her, treats her seriously as a theologian. She Mm. asks theological questions. You know, are, are you greater than Jacob, who's well? You know, I mean, that that's a theological question. And she's asking a Jew she already shows her curiosity, her willingness to go outside of a comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And Jesus doesn't treat her as like, oh, you silly woman asking these questions. Yeah. It's like he embraces her interest yeah. and her questions. She really becomes one of the first evangelists. She is. She goes back to her town yes. and tells everybody, this is a man who knows everything That's about right. me. And the stuff that he knows, like that she had five husbands I'm unaware of any other figure at this time that would have had that. Mm. When the one you're with now is not your husband. When we do have a figure who was a close friend of Augustus, Caesar Augustus, his name is Agrippa. When he died, he was married to his fifth wife. Mm. Two Mm. had died and two he had divorced. But otherwise, we don't know any of that. So clearly Jesus 
displayed his prophetic mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. of her. It's not a judgment statement. It's a prophetic statement. We revealed he himself wasn't guessing. through it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He wasn't guessing, right. and he landed on five, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, he was, you know, he knew. And that's yeah. what she describes. And her, the town people believe her. Mm. That's my oh. dream, is that yeah. women would be believed, Ooh. that they would be taken seriously, that they think theologically, and that then when they have an insight or they meet Jesus, yeah. their yeah. friends, the townspeople, would believe them. She must have mm. been su- a person of such trustworthiness that when they heard, they believed, because they did. It's Because yeah. they later mm. say, yeah. you know, now we believe in a sense even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We first believed because of your testimony, but now we believe even more. And do you know the whole time this is happening, his other disciples are buying food in the town and they aren't talking about Jesus to anybody. Hmm. So you fascinating. Know, so, what yeah. a comparison. Wow. So you're talking about how you long for women to take the risk that God's inviting them to. Mm-hmm. And then you're longing for women who've been wounded or misunderstood or not known to know how deeply Jesus does know them. And then I heard you, Lynn, say, that's my dream. That's my dream. And you got super impassioned there. Tell us about your dream. You know, because you still have a lot of years left, God willing, and you're shifting positions as God calls you to different roles. And what is your dream for women? What do you want to see God really accomplish as you pray to him in the morning and cry out to him, please do this? What does that look like for you? I am excited to see, and I dream of seeing it more and more, of women confidently stepping in to what God has called them to do, mm-hmm. not needing to explain. And it's not like they all need to teach or they all need to evangelize. I don't have a template. Whatever good work God has for you, that's what I want you to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And it may look very traditional. Mm-hmm. Fine. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's where God has you and has mm-hmm. gifted you, because that's where you'll have the impact for the kingdom that God hopes for you to have. And it makes all the things that you do have eternal value because they're in sync with, in line with what God has called you to do. So I want that kind of freedom that women just feel a sense like all of this is for me. Mm -hmm. Where do you want me, God? And I would pray that there would be more and more men who would come alongside and encourage, like my father, my husband, celebrate with me when things go well and cry with me when things don't um, or say, okay, pick yourself up, new day, Mm -hmm. let's go. So part of how I feel I fit into all of that is continuing to understand the biblical text better myself Mm -hmm. and then be able to communicate that truth. So many times people say to me, I never knew that. Why didn't I know that? You know, and it's right there in the the Bible that we've had for 2,000 years. Why didn't I know that? So I hope to hear that less and less. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I hope that more and more people learn those stories in the global church. I think it's going to be increasingly important that Christians work together Mm -hmm. um, for the sake of the world as the world continues to fracture. And I don't want us to get sidelined on well, is she allowed to do this? Or what would you, What should we call her? Because, you know, we can't call her that in case it sounds like this and blah, blah, you know, and we just, we fuss a lot mm-hmm. in my mind. We fuss a lot on that 
when, you know, sort of we're fiddling while Rome burns, you know? <laughs> and I think, no, 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 let's focus on a world that needs Jesus. I love how you uh, want women to know that sometimes they have to take a risk, mm-hmm. that they're qualified, mm-hmm. that they have a voice. Mm-hmm. Would you define in your words, what purpose is and how God sees purpose? I would say purpose is faithfulness. Mm-hmm. I come to that, I think of in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul asks the Corinthians, don't judge me. He said, I don't even judge myself. Doesn't make me innocent, but I just try to be faithful and God will take care of the growth. And so mm-hmm. that's why I say with purpose, purpose might imply for some people an end goal. Mm -hmm. But I think for believers, we don't always know what that end goal is in a concrete sense. Mm -hmm. Paul tells the Romans and us that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son in chapter 8. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. That's our ultimate goal, right? And we are being transformed from glory to glory, right? Mm -hmm. Second Corinthians and so I think the, when, when I see how Paul as an individual says, I'm trying to be obedient, I'm not even going to judge, is this effective mm-hmm. or not? Because I don't know the big picture. All I know is God asked me to do this. Mm. And sometimes, you know, you don't even know, you're not even sure, is God asking totally. me to yes. do this? Right. You know? You feel like you're walking in the dark. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If it's about being in relation, mm-hmm. right, and being having a relationship with Jesus, then purpose is knowing more deeply, Mm. loving more strongly, receiving the love more Mm. acceptingly, Mm -hmm. and then sharing that. If that's what our focus is, Mm -hmm. then I think purpose happens. It may be hard, though, to go after purpose directly. Yeah. I think of the story of Amy Carmichael, a missionary in India, 1800s, Mm -hmm, right, was mm -hmm. when she lived. And she was an evangelist going from town to town preaching the gospel. And she really wanted to continue doing that. But there were a number of girls that had been dedicated to temple shrines in one way or another came to her seeking to leave that world of what Mm -hmm. we would call slavery Mm -hmm. in, in a real sense. At one point, they had, I think it was a typhoid, but it may have been something else, an illness, where they had to stay in one spot for a while till the illness went away, and more and more girls came. And what she finally realized was that God was calling her not to move around and evangelize, which is what she wanted, but rather to stay in one place and to care for these girls. And she said there was a a Tamil proverb um, that children bind a mother's feet. And she said, and I Hmm. thought of that Hmm. and thought, but who am I to complain about bound feet when my Savior's hands were scarred for me? I mean, she said it much better than that, but that was her sentiment. And so she embraced, with difficulty, but she embraced the ministry that God had for her, which wasn't necessarily her dream per Mm -hmm. se, but became her dream. And she also worked for years to get a law changed that would help, would benefit these girls. And it eventually, at the end of her life, it it, uh, was made into law. And I just think back to, uh, like that to me models of faithfulness, right? That there's, she has tremendous courage. I'll go anywhere. And God says, no, I want you to stay right here, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was so much fruit that came Mm. from that. I love the example of Amy Carmichael. 
We are all women with a purpose. Well, before we go, make sure to check out the Discover the Word series where Elisa shares more about women in the work of Jesus. You can find the link for that and our blog on our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. The day's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Jade Gussman and Mary Jo Clark. We also want to thank Tyler and Emmy for all their help and support. Thanks, everyone. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.